Well, if you missed the introduction, my name is Mike. I'm the pastor here at Christ Church Halifax. Good to see all of you. Very warm welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide where you'll find the two uh, scriptures in which the sermon will be based. Allie's going to come forward and she's going to read those for us. As she stands, I'm going to actually give us a little introduction to what's going on here, uh, why we've got two texts on the back. We're actually starting this week uh, a five-part series that will carry us into July that I'm calling The Pilgrim Life, Walking in This World with Jesus. That that subtitle, it's a work in progress, but the, the substance is there. The Pilgrim Life. Christians throughout history have resonated with this image that that we find really throughout the Bible that God gives to his people, to followers of Jesus, about who they are in this world. Christians are strangers. They're sojourners. They're pilgrims. The call of Jesus, as we read through our series in Luke's Gospel, is an invitation to anyone and everyone to come and follow him. And if they do this, they're not entering into a life of ease and leisure, of comfort and convenience, but they're going into the pilgrim life, a life where the bitter comes before the sweet, the cross before the crown, the long journey and the battle rages hard before they finally arrive victorious into eternal bliss. Christians are people who are in the world, but they're never quite at home here. We're called to walk in this world, to walk through this world with Jesus toward our heavenly home. Now, many in our city here in Halifax, in our world, are walking a very different kind of path. Maybe some of you here visiting this church, you're on a different path right now. Maybe you feel aimless in your journey. You're not sure how to walk in this world. You don't know which way is up or down or where to go. Some people have decided to walk the unending path of the pursuit of wealth and status and comfort and image. And it's beginning to prove hollow. You're, 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 you're learning that simply living for the here and now, uh, a, a YOLO life, a you only live once kind of life, it's either crushed you or it's left you unsatisfied and hungry for something more, something more lasting, something that nothing on earth seems to be able to satisfy. Friends, we were made for more, for so much more. We were made for a Christ-following, eternity-oriented, heavenward-directed life. And this is the pilgrim life. Over the next five weeks, what we'll be doing is looking at five different aspects of the pilgrim life that we see in the scriptures. Pilgrim vision, pilgrim piety, pilgrim friendships, pilgrim warfare, and pilgrim hope. You don't need to memorize those. We'll go over those each week. But this week, this is the first week, we're looking at pilgrim vision. To walk with Jesus in the pilgrim life, we need pilgrim vision. The two passages that I'm uh, asking you to turn to either in your Bibles or in the back middle portion of the worship guide... Um, the first is an Old Testament reading com- coming from Psalm 119, and this is part of a very long celebration song for God's gift of his word to guide and protect his people. The New Testament reading is from John 17. It's a part of one of Jesus' final prayers for his disciples, so keep that in mind as we read John 17, that Jesus is praying to his Father for his followers, those who are following him on the way, uh, and this is on the eve of his death and, and eventual resurrection and ascension back into heaven. Allie. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, and I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. 
I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Now from John 17. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Our Father, would you give us vision that we need to follow you. For those who are blind now, would you give sight according to your true words. Reveal to us in this time your Son, the Word made flesh, the light of the world. Help us to listen to him and to follow him now as he speaks to us. Amen. Over the last few years, there's been much said, much written about the phenomenon known as fake news. Fake news, if you're familiar with it, it's the spread of news or information that's either outright false, just a lie, or it's got a hint of truth, but it intentionally misrepresents an attempt to deceive or manipulate its recipients. The proliferation of fake news, whether that's on your aunt's Facebook feed or coming from some sort of a mainstream media source, it makes it very hard for people to know what's true, what the truth is. Is this this piece of health advice that I'm reading right now, is this true and accurate, or is it just like cherry-picking random studies in an attempt to sell me supplements to believe I can live the shredded life? Uh, is, Is this what I'm reading or listening to on a podcast? Is it a true, accurate depiction of local and international events, or is it a biased, sensationalized attempt to to rabble rouse, to to win me over to a certain uh, voting block or cause or party? You and I are right to be skeptical and wonder if what we're reading and hearing is actually true or if it's an attempt to deceive us or to disguise the truth. Something feels wrong about fake news. We crave what's true and trustworthy and real. We long for it. We need truth like a house needs a foundation. Without it, we feel unstable, unshifting, uh, in danger of falling over. We all want to truthfully understand who we are. We all want a true picture of of the world and what's happening in it, Uh, a true vision of life itself. Where do we find that? Who can we trust? Where do we turn? The pilgrim life, it begins with pilgrim vision. As we begin to follow Jesus on the road through life, God himself gives us true, trustworthy, accurate, and clear vision for the journey ahead. As we look at Pilgrim Vision, there's going to be four aspects of Pilgrim Vision that we'll see in our text this morning, and and that is we'll see a Pilgrim Vision of truth, of suffering, and of mission. We'll take those in turn, truth, suffering, mission. So first, let's look at the Pilgrim Vision of truth. Psalm 119 is part of of the longest psalm in the scriptures. It's uh, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And in in its entirety, it's dedicated to celebrating the gift of God's word, his scriptures to us. Uh, What I'm holding in my hand right now, maybe you have a copy right now, uh, what we read and preach on every Sunday. God's people have always celebrated and believed that every word in scripture 
is God-breathed. It is the only completely and fully faithful, reliable, and true guide to all of life. Where we can rightly be skeptical of other sources of information, other advice we receive from different people and different sources, God's word is fully trustworthy and reliable and accurate. In the scriptures, God himself is speaking to his people. Because God is true, because he is holy, every word he speaks to us is true and holy. This is the pilgrim vision of truth. God's word is truth. The truth is received from God. It's not discovered by us. It's something that God speaks to us. It's not something that we intuit or that we find deep within ourselves through self-discovery. The ancient Israelites, as they, as they sang Psalm 119, of course, they didn't have like Facebook or, or media conglomerates sending them purportedly fake news, but they often did feel like you and I often feel, like we're walking in the dark, like we're unsure of what's trustworthy and true. They, just like us, they ask the ultimate questions. Who am I? What am I doing here? Do I have any purpose? Why is life often so sweet? Why is it often so bitter? Is there any meaning to any of this? And God's people celebrate in Psalm 119 that God has spoken truth to them. He has shed light on them. They can know the truth, and this truth can set them free. If you look at verse 105 of Psalm 119, the psalm writer celebrates your word That is the scriptures. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. God's word is light in a very dark world. As we grow acquainted with the Bible through through, through reading it, through hearing it preached, through, through reminding each other of it, God is shining his light on us, on our world, on our circumstances. God's word is a lamp to show us where to walk, how we should walk. When, when we don't know what kind of steps to take next, we turn to God's word. We listen to him to give us light on how to walk in a particular situation towards a particular person because his word is trustworthy and true. He'll show us where and how to walk. Without God's word, we're stumbling in the dark. We're making guesswork of our path. We're, we're that house without a foundation, teetering, feeling like we're ready to collapse. When Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17... He knew that by calling people to follow him, that they would be in for trouble. That they would have to live like pilgrims, walking in the world, but not in step with the world, and so they would be hated by the world. They'd be distinct from it. The pilgrim life would often be incredibly hard for them. And so how does Jesus pray for them? What is his prayer for his disciples? If you look at verse 17 of John 17, he prays that God the Father would sanctify them. Sanctify means to set them apart, to to prepare them for, for his service, for the journey ahead. And this is what Jesus prays, that, that God would sanctify them in the truth. Your word, Jesus says, is truth. Notice Jesus doesn't believe that God's word, the scriptures, contains truth. He doesn't use this word truth like an adjective. He doesn't say your word is true, though of course it is. He uses it as a noun. Your word is truth. What Jesus is saying and what the scriptures attest to is that God's word isn't one true thing which we're to believe simply, but it's the standard. It's the rule of truth by which everything in the world must be measured up to, tested beside, uh, compared against. This is how the Puritan Henry Smith said it in the 16th century. He said, we should set the word of God always before us like a rule and believe nothing but that which it teaches. Love nothing, but that which it prescribes. 
Hate nothing but that which it forbids. Do nothing but that which it commands. Now, this is hard. It, it sounds pious, perhaps, to some of you. Some of you might even agree with this as a principle, maybe not all of you. But when we start on this road with Jesus and we try to live this way, try to live all of our lives in accordance with the light of the Word of God, when His truth begins to sanctify us, to separate us, to set us apart from the people of the world, this is actually really hard. It is lonely often, it is risky. We live in a society, we live in a city, we have friends around us that tell us to love and to take pride in things which God's word calls wicked. Our culture demands that everyone believe and promote certain things about men, about women, about creation and meaning and truth which God's word calls a lie. We're told to hate or reject or to at least keep very quiet about the words of the Bible, which, which God would have us embrace and celebrate and preach loudly and proudly. Those who would follow after Jesus in a pilgrim life, we need a pilgrim vision of truth, that God's word alone is truth, that his word and his word alone is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, and in it and by it, we're sanctified. We are being set apart for God's purposes. This is a great reason to regularly come to church, to sit under the preaching of the word, to hear it being spoken to you, have its light shed on you, why you should be reading the Bible along with other Christians so that you are in the truth, thinking on the truth, speaking the truth. If you, if you were to compare uh, your, your intake and, and hearing of God's word versus other voices, would it give you pause? Is your, light, is your life more surrounded by light or by darkness? God's word is the light that God gives to pilgrims. So the first aspect of the pilgrim vision is the pilgrim vision of truth. God's word is truth. And this is the second aspect, the pilgrim vision of suffering. God gives pilgrims a proper vision of suffering. Imagine going to an escape room. I've never actually been to an escape room. That's an invitation to invite me the next time you go. But imagine you go to an escape room, there's a couple here in Halifax, and being incredibly frustrated and angry because you found things to be difficult, right? That things didn't come easy to you, that you had to strain and struggle and work through the problems at hand with all of your might. You might criticize somebody who, who, who you find grumbling and complaining about this and say, that's kind of the point, right? Trouble is a feature of escape rooms, not a bug. And in both of these passages, and again, everywhere we read in scriptures, it speaks about the suffering and trouble people following Jesus are sure to experience. And yet many Christians, when they encounter internal or external trouble and suffering, what do they do? What do we do? What do I do? Grumble, complain, get angry, get frustrated, get discouraged. What gives? Why are things so hard? And this is because we lack the pilgrim vision of suffering. Nobody likes trouble. You shouldn't like trouble. No one wants to be hated by others, disliked. No one wants to have their lives feel like they're falling apart. No one wants to have this feeling that people are laying traps for you to trip up in. But the pilgrim vision of suffering is twofold in Scripture. First, suffering should be expected by all pilgrims. If you are following Jesus, trouble is sure to come. And the second is that our suffering has purpose. Our suffering has purpose. So first and obviously, as Jesus prays for his disciples, he expects that they'll experience difficulty, trouble, suffering. In verse 14 of John 17, if you look at Jesus is praying to his father and he says, the world has hated them because they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. In verse 15, he prays, don't take them out of the world, but keep them. That is guard, protect them as they experience attacks, protect them from the evil one. 
Jesus prays for his disciples, for anyone who would fall on the path. Father, don't remove them from this world and from, from, from the troubles that they'll experience, but keep them. Keep them in the faith. Protect them from the evil one. Suffering should be expected from followers of Jesus. Jesus isn't even willing to remove all trouble for them, and we'll see that why in a moment. We just went over this again in Luke chapter 9, this expectation that followers of Jesus ought to have. Jesus looked at the crowds, anyone who could hear his voice, and, and, and he, he, he maybe said, said the quiet part out loud. He said, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Those are heavy words. So listen, we need a vision from God to expect suffering and trouble, to not be surprised or thrown off when it occurs to us, to our church, but also we need to know that our suffering and troubles, they have purpose. Our troubles are not meaningless. They're, they're not a case of bad luck or blind chance. When the psalmist was afflicted, if you look at Psalm 119, what does he do? What is his reaction to affliction and trouble? Look at verse 107. He turns to God, right? I am severely afflicted, he says. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Look at for, for verse 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. They're trying to throw me off track, Father. But your word, your truth, your light, it helps me stay on the path. We should expect suffering as pilgrims, but, but what we all also need to see is that God's intended purposes for suffering, oddly, is this. It's to increase our joy. One of the God-intended purposes of suffering is to increase our joy. Let me, let me explain that. See, suffering forces us to lose or to let go of every faulty thing we're tempted to build our lives on. Wealth, uh, success, the admiration of others, our good looks, our career, our success— and as we suffer, as we experience the loss of these things, it forces the pilgrim to turn wholly to God, who is our source of ultimate joy and satisfaction. As we lose our lives, we find them in Christ. As the song goes, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. When we suffer the loss of temporary and shakable things, friends, family, work, homes, the things that we want to cling so tightly to in this world, it can teach us like nothing else can. Suffering can teach us like nothing else can to seek lasting joy in God, who alone is our eternal and unshakable joy. If you go back to Jesus' prayer in verse 13, he prays for us, he prays for his followers, telling his Father that his hope for his people is final and ultimate joy. He doesn't want them just to experience an uncomfortable life. That's not the whole story of the Christian life, but he doesn't want either for them to have temporary peace and comfort. He desires eternal joy for his people. I speak these things, he says, in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus is saying, I call them to follow me on this difficult road so that one day they will have joy to the max. Not temporary, easy come, easy go joy, but deep, lasting, forever joy that cannot be shaken. It cannot be stolen or lost. Do you have this kind of vision for the suffering in your life, for the difficulties that you're encountering right now? Or do you grumble and complain with every challenge that you experience, every bad email, every difficult conversation? Will you trust God's word that even in this, he wants to bring you into lasting, eternal joy in Christ? 
Look at, uh, at the psalm at verse 111. He reminds himself, even as he's suffering, even as he's severely afflicted, your testimonies, the words that you speak, they are my heritage forever. They are my inheritance. They are my joy so the, the first aspect of pilgrim vision is the pilgrim vision of truth, that God's word is truth. It alone guides us how we're to act, speak, think, and hope on this journey with Jesus. And the second aspect of the pilgrim vision is that of suffering, that it's to be expected, but also that it's full of meaning. And third and finally, for pilgrims on the road following Jesus, God gives them the pilgrim vision of mission. So joy, or suffer, I got it wrong, <laughs> of, uh, of truth of suffering, and finally of mission. Jesus in his earthly mission, if you're familiar, uh, if you're familiar with, with the story of Christ, song, Psalm 119 would make a lot of sense for him to be singing regularly, right? Jesus was the, was, was the man who preeminently built his entire life on God's word. He trusted everything. He, he did everything. He restrained himself from every temptation that God's word would tell him not to. When tempted to deviate from the road that his father put him on, Jesus always responded with scripture on his lips. When tempted to find an easier way, he wouldn't stray from God's words. He, Jesus would say, not my will, but your will be done, Father. This road that Jesus went on, it, it led to ultimate suffering. It led, it led Christ to the cross. But he did so because of an incredible vision of his mission. Look at verse 19. This points to our hope. Jesus prays for their sake, for the disciples' sake. I consecrate myself. Again, this is priestly language, language of being set apart. Jesus is going to give his life for his people. But he does so for this reason, so that they also may be sanctified in the truth. See, Jesus was guided by and obedient to God's word. He endured suffering on the road so that you and I could be saved and sanctified. That was his mission. He was sent into the world for this very purpose. If Jesus disobeyed God's word, if he, if he decided to live a life like, like many of us try to live, I, I'm going to disobey God's word so that I could avoid suffering and difficulty. It seems a much easier way to not do this. If Jesus chose to do that, we would be without hope. We would have to bear our own guilt and shame and suffer condemnation. But because Jesus had a clear vision of his mission, that the Father had sent him into the world to seek and save the lost, and that led through the cross, you and I can turn from our old ways of life to follow Jesus on this pilgrim life and be promised eternal joy at the end. That's Jesus' vision of mission. But what does that mean for us and for our mission? If you notice what Jesus says in, in, in chapter 17, as you sent me, this is verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. What has Christ sent us here in Halifax for uh, individually and as a church? Let's finish our time with this. One, one of the effects of, of fake news, of, of, of really news in general, it seems, I, I read too much news, is that it has this effect. It seems to... to, to create an environment where we want to dislike our neighbors, where, where we want to categorize and judge people according to their politics, their social and economic status, their race, their gender. News wants to make us simply see people as either completely good or completely bad on one side or on the other. This is not the pilgrim vision. It's a worldly vision. It's not compatible with the pilgrim vision of mission. 
And there's a story I heard just this weekend. We had Presbyterian Hamilton. I just, I just flew back uh, yesterday. Uh, a story that I heard about um, the American evangelist D.L. Moody. I'm not sure if that name's familiar to you. He, he was very active in the 19th century. He preached all over North America and was remarkably effective. D.L. Moody only had a sixth grade education, and that kind of followed him wherever he went. But God used him to preach the gospel of God's grace and love to this broke and darkened world to offer redemption through Christ Jesus. And thousands upon thousands of people believed because of Moody's preaching. And there was a time when he was preaching in London, as the story goes, that some local British pastors, perhaps a little snooty, because of his low education, perhaps a little jealous of his success, they came to Moody and they wanted to find out his secret. Why was he filling out churches? <laughs> Why were thousands responding in the faith and, and they felt their own ministries were somewhat lacking? So they came to the hotel where he was staying and they said, and knocked on the door and, and asked, Mr. Moody, what's your secret? You're not too smart. I'm not going to put on a British accent, but imagine it's in a British accent. You're not too smart. I don't know how you say that gently. You speak with that awful American accent. Your sermons are very simple, and yet thousands of people are converted. What gives? How do you do it? Moody brought the men into his hotel room and went over to a window on the far side, and he, and he, and he looked out. It was overlooking a park or, or, or something in, in downtown London. He said, tell me, when you look out, what do you see? One of the pastors looked out and said, I see, I see a park. I see some children playing. And Moody asked, do you, do you see anything else when you look out? Another said, I, yeah, another... Another said, I see that too, I see the kids, but look, there's, you know, there's, there's an older couple holding hands over there, enjoying the evening. Uh, a third man added, oh, you know, there's a young couple a little further coming down the path. And this seemed, of course, like an odd line of questioning for Moody. And so they turned to him, they asked, Mr. Moody, what do you see? And Moody, as he stared out the window, he began to weep. Uh, tears fell down his cheeks into his gray beard. And, and his guests were, were, were curious after a moment or two. Mr. Moody, what are you looking at? What do you see? To which Moody responded, when I look out the window, I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. That was his secret. His pilgrim vision of mission. Christ's call, Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The mission of pilgrims, this is the mission of you, of this church, is to be sent into this world that is dark, that is filled with trouble, this very difficult road, but not to escape from it. We are called to bring this good news of a Savior who has come to be the light of the world, life in death. We're to go to people who don't know up from down, left from right, and to say there is truth, and you can know him. There is joy, and you can have it. This is freely offered to the world. It is freely offered to you who hear me right now, to anyone who would come after Jesus. This is our mission as a church, friends. Uh, not a life dedicated to comfort and accumulation, but to the mission of Christ to call lost souls into the pilgrim life of following Christ out of death and destruction and into the life of joy eternal. Now may you know the truth. And may the truth set you free. May you set God's word, his light before you like a rule, believing nothing but that which it teaches, loving nothing but that which it prescribes, hating nothing but that which it forbids, doing nothing but that which it commands. May you understand your mission.
that Christ gives you and follow after him in this dark world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, which is light. Thank you for speaking to us clearly. God, we pray for, for our church, for our souls, as we follow after Jesus on this pilgrim way, that you would give us a clear vision. Lord, we, 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 we feel easily distracted, easy to forget. And so help us, God. We thank you for your kindness and mercy that you love pilgrims, that you invite us all to follow after you. We pray all that in Christ's name. Amen.